<laughs> Let's do it. Hello and welcome to the Send Mums Career Club, a podcast exploring the highs and lows of trying to climb the career ladder whilst raising children with complex or additional needs. My name is Lisa Miller. I'm a journalist with three children. My eldest daughter Beatrix has a condition called Kabuki Syndrome. She's under various medical and therapeutic specialists and attends a SEN school. Each episode, I'm joined by a different guest to discuss work and ambition through the lens of special needs parenting. For this Christmas special, I am thrilled to introduce two guests. Uh, Tis the season and the more the merrier and all that. So let me introduce Lauren Fenton and Rena Tazlika, who together host the Fucking Normal podcast. That is actually the name of the podcast, not a descriptor. Um, and I highly recommend that you look it up if you're not already familiar with it, because it's actually something quite special. Lauren, who used to work in professional services, has two daughters. B, who's eight, has 18Q deletion syndrome. Rena is a beauty writer and mum to Lua, seven, who has Noonan syndrome. Welcome, Lauren, Rena. Hi. Thank you for having us. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for making the time. It's such a busy time of year, so um, really appreciate your time. So to begin with, uh, we'll just jump in. I've not interviewed two guests at the same time before, so uh, <laughs> we'll see how we get on. Um, but Lauren, I'll come to you first. Um, can you tell me a bit about yourself and you know, what did work and life look like for you before, before B was born? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm from Newcastle originally, uh, I guess as we go on, my, my Geordiness may come out a little bit more, um, but I live in North London with my husband and two daughters, Olivia and Bea, as you said. Um, before children, for many years, I worked in as a management consultant uh, for a large professional services organisation. I'm an accountant. I mean, God, I sound really fucking dull, but um, oh, I will swear. Can we swear? We can swear. <laughs> the floodgates are open I mean you already swore because thanks it. to us you said the name of the pod <laughs> that's it yeah <laughs> um yeah so I do sound fucking boring I'm not honest um yeah I'm an accountant by qualification and uh yeah as a management consultant I basically work mostly with big corporate organizations delivering improvement programs in finance and technology um it was long hours Lots of travel, certainly in the early part of my career, it was a culture of weekend working, evening working, being away from home a lot. Um, yeah, and my husband and I kind of met at work, although we'd often be in different continents or like just meeting at 11 o'clock to travel home together. Um, so yeah, I make it sound really awful. It wasn't so bad. It was, you know, it was, I was young. I didn't have any responsibilities and it was definitely kind of a a work hard, play hard kind of culture that I was in. Mm. Were you enjoying it at the time? Yeah, I yeah. I mean, I guess we'll come to it. But yeah, I think when I was in my early 20s, what was important to me was was often relating to work. It was yeah. something that really defined who I was through my 20s. You know, work mm. was going well. I was climbing the corporate career ladder if you like um and I had big ambitions from a from a career perspective um yeah I sort of always knew that I wanted to have children but in my I, I say wisdom without meaning really wisdom I had this kind of goal that I was going to make partner at my firm 
by my early 30s do that and then then I'll stop and not stop but I'll stop kind of striving forward in the same way and I'll settle down and I'll have kids and have a family um yeah I kind of laugh <laughs> at myself when I think <laughs> of the way that I viewed work and the way that I define myself by it um I did enjoy it but yeah as I'm sure we'll come to uh life changed quite considerably and and, and I changed with that and yeah. what was important to me really really changed yeah absolutely and Rena, over to you uh same question um I came from firstly I had Lua when I was 25 26 so I was relatively young compared to my friends at the time and just life and what we were expected to be doing at the time you know chasing a career and doing other things so I didn't really know what I was doing or what I wanted to do when I had Lua so when I did find out I was pregnant it kind of gave me that oh okay maybe this is motherhood is something that I can do now and then think about my career afterwards and I didn't really expect to be out of work for such a long time when I had Lua it was kind of the typical I'll take a year, a year and a half, and then in that time, you know, do all the baby stuff, but also think about what I wanted to do with my life. Um, but that went out the window instantly. So I had to take a very long time away from the workforce. Um, but previous to Lua, I studied nutrition and kind of was in the wellness space, but then didn't really enjoy it. So I did move about I had no direction for a very long time so on one hand I think having Lua gave me a sort of grounding that I needed at that time in my life to kind of just stop and really question my choices and question who I was and who I wanted to be so I am in a weird way very grateful to have been thrown into like the special needs world um yeah yeah very different to Lauren. <laughs> different but similar, you know. This is it, you know. That point of inflection. Oh, no, that's it. I mean, you know, and even, you know, we talk about special needs motherhood and of course that's what we're talking about and it is a very specific experience. But again, there are so many commonalities, you know, with motherhood, you know, listening to you talk about thinking of taking a year off and then getting back to work, you know, it, it's so strange, isn't it? On the other side of it, for me, mm. I guess, and probably for most mothers, looking back, how before you have children you think oh yes a year to focus on the baby that's good then life will sort of go back to normal and my focus will shift mm -hmm. back to work you know that's certainly how I thought about it before I had kids um and in retrospect of course that's not you know that's that's really not 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 how it no. is or how it should be at all um no not so uh all. yes but how and and when did it become apparent to you um Lauren I'll come to you first again that your experience of motherhood wasn't going to be, you know, the quote unquote normal experience of, of motherhood that we might have expected. Yeah, I mean, so I had an older daughter. So I, when when I was, when B was born, I'd already experienced motherhood for twenty months. That was yeah. kind of neurotypical motherhood, if I can put it like that. Um, yeah. And yeah, so it was pretty apparent to me straight away that that my experience was quite different with B. Um yeah, yeah. she 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 has 18 Q deletion syndrome um at birth. There were a number of things that already picked up um and and certainly in the early months after her birth the fact that she has a hearing loss um was apparent uh, for some of her physical um 
conditions such as her cleft palate and a foot abnormality were very clear you know at birth um she has kind of learning difficulties and um i think it's pretty kind of standard catalog of things that go along with a chromosomal abnormality um you know her gross and fine motor skills are impacted and what's kind of most impacted for b is her communication um you know it was it was different in that you know our experiences early doors were different um she, it was but it but because i actually got these diagnoses of 18q um when she was 2 weeks old um it was it was in my face if you like that there was there was this kind of syndrome associated with my child um and that came about because when she was born uh, a nurse incorrectly uh, felt she was presenting as having down syndrome so you know wrong chromosome but sort of along the right lines um and so they tested very early for a range of genetic conditions um i think although it was apparent that things were kind of not as expected if i can put it like that um i went into a very much denial um early days oh, wow. i'd say probably for the first year to two years of b's life i was in that denial um I didn't face up to kind of what it would actually mean or, and I, you know, I feel awful thinking about how I was in those early days. I, I went into a kind of standard coping mechanism of, I will ace this, um, I'll be the mm. best special need. I, I wouldn't even have used the term special needs, but I will get, be the help and the support that she needs. So I'm going to be the most organized and the most kind of like the fixer, if you like, and that's a horrible thing to say about your child. Um, and I went into overdrive, just putting an awful lot of pressure on myself and on and on B and on on the whole family, um, because that was the coping mechanism that had served me throughout life before. Um, so yeah, trying to control what I could control, um, and and also a bit kind of my ignorance of what disability really uh, was about, so on my own socialised ableism that meant this you know in my head this wouldn't happen to my family this isn't my family this isn't my story um so yeah it was a kind of on the one hand everything was very clear from the big the get-go that things were different but actually my journey of acceptance and kind of seeing this different motherhood path was a much slower one um because of that denial phase yeah yeah um Rina, I can I can see you're kind of nodding along with this. Um, I, so some of that certainly resonates with me. How how mm-hmm. was your experience with Lua? While I was pregnant with Lua, there had been some abnormalities picked up, um, quite late in the pregnancy. So we went in to the kind of the birth and the beginning part of motherhood as there could potentially be an issue with her heart, and surgery will fix it, and then we'll be on our way, living life. Um, once she was born, it was clear immediately that there was a lot of issues with Lua. I mean, she was born, she wasn't breathing, she had to be intubated. It took a long time to get her off, or what's the word that I'm looking for? De-intubated. That was a process in itself. And then from that, she was placed on a load of different ventilation, um, could never really come off the ventilation, 
um, it was nasal cannulas and it was a mask and then it was back to nasal cannula and for about four or five months before they were like, well, she needs a tracheostomy. If you're ever going to go home, that's the pathway we're going to have to take. So once the word tracheostomy was thrown about, I think I lost my mind because I had seen other children in the wards with tracheostomies and I understood the impact that that would have on our lives. It wasn't a quick fix. This was something to, to, to be to be told that you needed a tracheostomy comes with a load of other additions to your life. It's not like a um, surgery that will fix a problem and then that's it. It's something that is placed within a child or an adult for an extended period of time. So they said initially, we'll place the tracheostomy and that it, she may be able to kind of come off it when she's about three. She's going into her eighth birthday soon and she still has a tracheostomy. Um, having a tracheostomy also means having carers 24 hours a day because it's you have to maintain an open, healthy airway. So there's all of the other parts that come with that. So I think once we heard tracheostomy, I knew that my life as it was up until that point was over, that this is a now a completely different life that I was about to embark on. Wasn't ready for it at all. Didn't really want to accept it. Fought for a long time to not. I think I was that crazy mum on wars that was like, are there other options? I want a third, fourth, fifth opinion. This is not something that I accept. It was very difficult to have to accept that that was what was going to happen and that was where my life was going to go. So I think what once we had the tracheostomy, that's when I was like, well, fuck work. That's not going to happen for who knows how long. <laughs> so I, yeah, I didn't even think, I think I knew that I wanted to kind of take at least a year. And I think because I was quite young, I was like, oh, maybe I could take longer. Because I knew deep down I, I wouldn't be able to like put my child in a nursery at 12 months old I knew, and because I'd grown up with a big family and lots of children I knew what a 12 month old looked like and what that felt like and I I knew that I wouldn't be ready to go back to work after a year or so but I didn't think that it would be for years and years and years. Mm. You did go back to work after taking your maternity leave with B, didn't you Lauren? How was that? Yeah so with both my children I went back after maternity although with B I took longer off so I had that year of maternity and I felt like certainly in comparison to when I was off with Olivia it didn't feel like what I'd assumed maternity feels like mm -hmm. um you know it was a it was a tough year uh, B had surgery um and I felt like I'd been robbed of a year where we should have been doing all the like mother and baby stuff that you're supposed to do um so I negotiated with work or agreed with work that I would do an additional year essentially um that I would take a career break for a year but I would still be contracted to my organization and I would go back afterwards so B was a little over two when I went back um and at the time it felt like good time because she was starting in a nursery provision um and I, I just felt a little bit more um 
I guess, in control, a little less overwhelmed. And I certainly was in a different point of acceptance than I'd had been when I was, you know, in that first year, completely in denial, as I described. I think this is just such an interesting and and valuable perspective that we haven't really discussed on, on the podcast before. And even just thinking about that is again interesting I guess about about our approaches to motherhood and you know how how having children with with such um a significant additional care needs impacts us but you know Rena you took a, a lot of extra time you know having had Lua Lauren you took the extra year before you went back to work and I think in the other episodes of the podcast and all the women I've spoken to so far we've kind of clung to work certainly from my perspective I can say I have absolutely clung on it by my fingertips sometimes you know trying to juggle all the stuff but work I I would not give it up I would not give it up and I know that that's not to say you have given it up you know what I mean I would I didn't I wanted to fit in the system I guess is what I'm trying to say I didn't want to fall out of the system it really I did my best to stay in the system and having some distance now between that time and where I am now and you know coming through you know as you describe Lauren it sounds so familiar those denials I look back on it and think why I feel a bit sad about it Mm -hmm. you know why didn't I feel like I could take Mm -hmm. that time that actually might have really benefited me that might have benefited me that might have benefited our family and you know felt like there would be something for me to pick up again down the line and just have that sense of balance and that sense of taking the time you know that would have really benefited us I think it's just so interesting so so I'm I'm so interesting to hear your perspectives on that and how you feel about work and how you feel about your families and your responsibilities to your children with with that perspective Mm. I mean, so I, although I went back, I did leave again. <laughs> so it might be worth kind of explaining that a little bit, just in terms of the, where I'm coming from. So I went back to my old client facing job in management consulting, and, and I agreed that I would work three days a week. Um, and I made it clear that I didn't want to work outside of London, that travel wasn't an option anymore. Um, but despite that, I ended up doing some European travel. Um, and constantly feeling pressure to extend my hours beyond three days a week. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, there was a lot of pressure to work more than three days. And I think I found myself at points in time working six or seven days a week. Um, I was paid for that. So not not the sixth or seventh day, but if you were working part time and you worked on days that you weren't officially working Everyone used to rave about this fantastic opportunity to fill it out and at all levels of the organisation, if that was the case, you would get paid the extra day's work or whatever that month or four days work that month or whatever. Um, but for me, that wasn't the point. I, I didn't, I would, you know, the financial benefit was not what I wanted over the fact that I'd gone back for a three-day arrangement so that I could have time for B, that I could have time for my family. And it just became unsustainable. So um, after a while, I was just felt like I was doing a shit job at mum. I was doing, you know, I wasn't enjoying work. Mm-hmm. I, I really wasn't enjoying work in the same way. I didn't value it in the same way. Um, and the level of support that be needed at that time was meant that three days in that sort of a job was not 
working, let alone the extra pressure to do more days. So I, it, at one point I, I was, it was like a 3am kind of moment of epiphany when I was lying in bed worrying about B. And I suddenly thought, and I, you know, I, I completely acknowledge that I'm so lucky to have this choice and the financial security to be able to make this decision. But I thought, I don't need to do this. I don't need to define, you know, this, I'm not really enjoying it anymore anyway. So why, why am I hanging on to my old, old kind of sense of what's defining me as being work? Cause that doesn't define me anymore. And I don't feel I need to do this. So I, I, I took, I walked away and it wasn't supposed to be long-term. It was supposed to be a bit of time to figure out what to do next. Maybe apply to some different jobs that were more manageable in a, normal kind of three-day week um, or four-day week but with not extended hours or pressure to do all of the other things um but then the pandemic hit mm. and before I knew it it was sort of three years on um where my role had largely been about child care and um being a parent and a carer um so yeah it sort of changed um but I think for the better and I feel yeah, in a much better place. And I, I was glad in a way to, 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 to have that moment and think, actually, this isn't what I want to do anymore. Yeah, it's it's brave. It's, it's really mm. brave to do that. Like I say, we're so indoctrinated from a young age, particularly as women, I think. You can do anything. You should do everything. <laughs> and you sort of feel that pressure. At the yeah, same time. <laughs> with, with one hand tied yeah, behind yeah. your back. You know, you feel the weight of that pressure. It's not a bad thing to encourage young women and girls that there are opportunities and they should take them. But equally, I do think we've lost a little bit of the flip side of that, which is that you don't have to take every opportunity. You don't have to run full pelt at everything. You should... Uh, know what is right for you and you should be able to do what is right for you and I think that's that's the part where I fail <laughs> I I just kept going um and I didn't have that bravery or that wherewithal or whatever it was to stop and take stock and say is this actually right for me or am I just going through the motions and and hanging on in there because I don't know what else to do mm -hmm. and Rena, you know like you were saying yes the decision was made for you but actually it, it gave something back to you. It didn't take something away. Mm. It's a difficult one. I think for a long time, I felt very much that I had failed at having a child. So then that has a knock-on effect on everything else. So when it, I mean, I could have gone back to work once Lua started nursery and school around three. I didn't because I was then dealing with the, Am I good enough? I haven't, you know, I've had a child with a disability. It's my fault that she's the way that she is. All of those kind of things that then had an effect on my confidence as an employable person. So then I had to work through those issues before I was in a place to be like, actually, yes, now is the time that I can go back to work because I am confident in myself and I'm confident in my life and in my, you know, things that I can do um, but it did take a very long time and I think that happens when you have a trauma mm. um, it will affect your confidence regardless of whether that's having a child with additional needs or not it could be anything um, but 
I think the first, and I think as women as well, you blame yourself first before you think of anything else. Yeah, absolutely. And what, what did that process look like for you? How did you go from, from feeling like you couldn't do it to, to where you are now? I think therapy helped. And I would recommend that to everybody if they can get their hands on any type of therapy. I think it's so good to be able to talk through your feelings because I didn't actually realise that that was my problem. (laughs) Um, I think you put blame on other things and you don't actually realise it's an internal issue. It's something that you have to figure out why you're feeling that type of way. So once I realised that I lack in confidence because of how I was looking at myself and my life at that moment then once that I had realized that then you start working on what are things that I can do that will rebuild my confidence what are things that make me feel good what are things that remind me of who I am and then you start working on those things and slowly your confidence start to build but I think also because I didn't quite know the trajectory that I wanted to take in life was a good thing and a bad thing because you because I had no clue what I wanted to do with my life and my therapist was like well every door is open you can do whatever the hell you want so it's a great opportunity for you to then pick a door any door <laughs> so that was nice because the pressure I let go of pressure there was no like well I've been doing this for x amount of years I must continue on that pathway it was a great what do I like? What do I want to do? This is great. Um, and I started from the bottom. I started as an intern, but I started as an intern in writing, which is something I'd been passionate about since I was like 10, 12. Um, but it was finding that thing that I liked, which was the pivotal moment to regain my confidence. So that that's how I ended up where I am. <laughs> that's so interesting. It was there all along. Uh, the process helped you to find it. Let's take a short break. Before we go into part two of the show, I'd like to give a shout out to our sister podcast, Baby on the Brain. Join Stylist Magazine's Felicity Thistlethwaite as she takes a mainstream look at the big parenting issues from finding your identity after children to combating sleep deprivation. It's an informative listen packed with expert views, lively debate and laugh out loud moments. Discover Baby on the Brain from Stylist Magazine, wherever you get your podcasts. So how has parenting a child with disabilities changed your your ambitions and your, your outlook on work, Lauren? In terms of what I want to get out of a, a paid job, and let's just be clear, like I feel like I work. I, I, with everything I have going on, yes. I'm doing more than a full-time role. Yes. It's just that society doesn't Even. define that as work. And sometimes just, you know, I'm putting it in inverted commas, I'm just a stay-at-home mum. And I just don't think that we value that enough. Um, Absolutely. You know, that people should be able to make their choices if they are able to, to, you know, choose an approach that works for them and their family. Um but I think my in terms of what I want to achieve for myself in a professional context, if I can put it that way, um, it's it's a very different set of goals and things that I'm exploring and looking at doing. Um, it's not that I, you know, I'll never be motivated or by some, you know, 
I guess, monetary reward or have, you know, I'm not saying I'm like some worthy person who is is just going to do everything for the good of mankind. Um, but I just don't see myself in the in a sort of full time or even part time corporate role of the same that I was in previously. I, I just want the flexibility. Um, I'm I have different views on what, you know, the, the word career really means. Um, I feel like we there's an implication there that you stay in one field and kind of climb that ladder. Um, and that's what we associate with success or value. Um, and I'm not, you know, if people, people, people want to do that. That's great. I mean, there's no judgment there at all for me. It's just, it's not, um, it's not for me. And I feel like I just have, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to do stuff that I love and hopefully get paid for it. Um, and maybe be curious about trying different things and see where that takes me a bit like what Rena says so yeah I feel like B has been the catalyst for all of that you know having children definitely changes your perspective but with a child with special needs I think it really forces you to reevaluate uh, what your what your values are and also kind of what things maybe have been just ingrained in you or you know you've, you've taken on that society's kind of told you be that about disability or about where your life is going to take you so yeah I think I have a very very different perspective now and a very set, different set of values and I don't know where that'll take me but it's it's exciting and interesting that's great that's fantastic and, and it's so true isn't it you know on the one hand I talk about career and ambition and you know it is that pushing forward and you know I look at B my B you know she's not gonna do that and that's absolutely fine (laughs) you know she doesn't have to do that nobody has to do that and I look at that and it is such a stark sort of contrast and I think well why do I think I've had to do that you know yes I enjoy it to a degree you know and it's important to me but it's not important to everyone and it doesn't matter to everyone you know and for me she is so inherently valuable none of that matters that not that isn't what makes her valuable as a human being as a person in her space on this in this world like she is enough well we're all enough we're all enough it's we're all valuable that's it, as we isn't are. it? That's and it. we don't need to have this you know I don't a know, title or a job, t- job title yeah, yeah. or yeah le- level on on the ladder um I think it's quite a linear way of mm. looking at life and and it definitely you know I don't want to get all political so you can cut this out but it definitely serves the capitalist model oh, you yeah. know that we're all going to go in and and work for the man and climb as high as up that ladder yeah, as we can absolutely. um Absolutely. Are there any elements of your experiences uh, to both of you? And we've touched on some of these things, but um, as a Sen mum that you think are um, or would be uh, applicable to your work life, Rina, you're, you're living this now, obviously, with your Sen mum hound and in a very full on job. Mm. What skills or experiences do you think, you know, parenting Lua, you, you can bring to, to work? Working in a corporate industry, which is high stress, when you have a child with a disability and you've been through something so difficult, what I find stressful is so vastly removed from what is considered work stress that it is incredibly liberating. So when I see colleagues kind of 
stressing about a deadline or whatever. And it's like, we're writing about beauty products. No one's dying. <laughs> it is not that deep, please. Um, which to uh, my colleagues, it's actually quite nice because the perspective that I have is so different mm. that it makes them mm. reconsider why they're stressed. So I think that's helped massively because I don't get stressed at work no longer because it's just not a stressful situation at all. So I think that's kind of one of the biggest um, things that I'm incredibly grateful for because it's just so calming. And also because my job is important to me and I love my job. So it's very nice to have something that's so far removed from the sun world that it's relaxing to go to work because it is something nothing to do with the medical world nothing to do with the sin world nothing to do with children so it's fantastic to let go switch off from it <laughs> i yeah. hear you <laughs> just massively yeah so yeah. i think that's, it's, that's it's, definitely it's something, something for you yeah. yeah i agree that kind of big picture thing and what really matters is so valuable i think that letting go of shit is just key isn't it mm. um but I would, I would also argue there are some very specific, very employable CV enhancing skills that we've all developed through being <laughs> Zen mum, like time negotiation, management. negotiation, time management, navigating new systems and processes. And guess what? You navigate the systems and processes and then six months later, you've got to rip that up and start again <laughs> and navigate a whole new set of systems and processes. Um <laughs> Yeah, being being able to break things down, like complex things into very simple, small steps. You know, these are excellent mm. attributes in all work environments. Um, yeah, but I think it's the softest skills as well. So I think I have a much higher degree of empathy than I mm. did previously. So that kind of having that empathy can make you very... Um, much more caring person I guess is that is that really worthy to say that I feel like I'm more caring than I used to be no absolutely oh, horrible beforehand <laughs> <laughs> no. no same we've walked in uh, some difficult shoes so I think we're able to um understand where people are coming from much better than what certainly I could have yeah well you've got a great bullshit ometer anyway Rena. and I think you know some of the stuff you were saying before about perspective I think it is that bullshit ometer as well it's like yeah. I feel like I had this corporate bullshit ambition bubble around me and I and and, and that has been popped for the better <laughs> you know absolutely um Rena, how do you do do that juggle between between work and home? What systems do you have in place that help you keep keep it all together? I I have to have a big shout out to Lua's dad because he is so involved and so willing to take on as much as I can shove to him. Um, he's great, and I think having a partner that's able to step up when they need to step up massively releases some pressure. Um, family I think I rely on my parents and his parents quite heavily what I've found is that it's I'm more willing to like ask for help mm -hmm. and I think for a long time because you want to do it all and you don't want to be seen as not weak but that you're struggling I think it's such a negative way of looking at 
your life, but I think most of us do look at it that way. Um, I now will easily ask for help. If, you know, the minute that I feel like, oh God, no, I can't do this. Somebody is getting a phone call and it's got easier the long, the, the, the more that I've been asking for help. So I think some of my friends and certainly my mum, if she sees my number coming up, her initial thing is, what do you need? Like, babysitting or can you do this or whatever? So yeah, I think family and a partner have helped me certainly to be able to juggle my life. Yeah. Um, how does that look for you, Lauren? Because as you say, you know, you are you are doing work, <laughs> uh, although not in a job. You know, how, how do what kind of systems work for you and your family when it comes to getting everything done? Um, I th- So, yeah, help. Definitely. I think if you can get help, take the help. Um, communication as well. So my husband and I sit down kind of supposed to be weekly but it's probably a, a little less frequently than that and we just go through the diary for the next I think I suspect most people do this for the next two weeks and we go okay because you can't be in two places at the same time and quite often as a parent of multiple children and with other commitments you need to be so it's like figuring out who's going to do what what's important what needs to be dropped mm-hmm. and actually there is often things that can be dropped um but it's 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 having that kind of moment of uh somebody else looking at the diary with you and kind of questioning it um that helps me actually um but yeah i i'm in a very i you know i i acknowledge i'm in a very lucky position in that i am not earning money um but i'm able to take on you know, unpaid roles and be the main carer in the household. And that does afford me, you know, more time to to, to to do things with the children. But I don't know that that exact, my exact setup now will be um, the same in a year's time or five years time. Um, I'm certainly, you know, exploring, how do I say this? I've got my fingers in a few different pies and exploring different options for what I might be doing work-wise um, in addition to the podcast that Rena and I host uh, going forward. So, yeah, it's um, it's it's working at the moment, though. Can I put it that way? I, the juggle is working yes. at the moment. Good. Um, yes, and of course, the podcast looms large as one of these responsibilities uh, that, that eats up some of your uh, your time. Tell me how that came about. Mina, do you want to do you want to tell the the, the backstory, the backstory of fucking the normal? <laughs> because it we was, love talking about our birth stories. We do. You know? <laughs> oh, gosh, um, it was incredibly random and perfect and wonderful all at the same time. Uh, it was it started with um, a WhatsApp group between a load of different mums within the North London area who knew of each other or of somebody or. And it developed and grew and it was just as the pandemic was kind of beginning and we were all stuck at home and totally overwhelmed and had no clue what was happening. Um, So to have a safe space where we could kind of talk about what was happening, how we were feeling, and it became such a warm, supportive space, um, really helped all of us. I think there's quite a large number Mm. in that group. (laughs) Um, And then once kind of the light at the end of the tunnel and COVID settled. 
we wanted to like extend that support system to other special needs mums because we had found it's just so wonderful and it was not just a place that we could kind of talk about what was happening but it was also quite practical does anybody know of you know how how I can get my hands on this funding or does anyone have recommendation for a therapist or a speech and language therapist or school or whatever and it was just such a hub of information that you wouldn't be able to get your hands on had we not been in that group I think within the special needs world a lot of things seem to be quite hush hush or you have to really dig deep to find what you're looking for but to have it kind of in the palm of your hand um, with people who had used them or you know knew how to get their hands on whatever they needed it was just such a wonderful place and then we decided to create a podcast for other special needs mums who aren't in North London but who were across the world across the UK or whatever and it's just gone on and we've interviewed incredible people and it's our little baby <laughs> um yeah. with a fabulous name <laughs> i know you, we all agonize over the names for our children and um this one has has such a <laughs> such a fantastic name tell me how that came about because it is so bold and brave and just tells you straight away what you're going to get when you come into you guys yeah i think that's that was right i mean we wanted a name that said you know what we were about um that we didn't take ourselves too seriously you know although Rena's talked about kind of the whatsapp group being a good um hub of resources from other parents we wanted to make it very clear that we don't really know what we're doing you know this isn't gonna be some like really informative kind of official thing um this is us having a chat and hopefully making people feel less lonely and heard and seeing you know hearing their experiences or similar experiences from other parents in the in the sen parenting world will make them feel less alone um yep. that was really our objective so um i think also it's a little bit of a flag to say there is going to be swearing in this podcast um you know and um yeah the fucking normal podcast i think we just i can't even remember exactly how we came about we were <laughs> throwing around ideas on a call one evening and somebody said it and we were like done um yeah i mean we can we can add the asterisks in to you know like make it not so explicitly a swear word and to be able to write it in places um but there are a lot of lot of podcasts with swear words in in their titles so um yeah and it feels like us so yeah yeah. right yeah fucking does fucking does (laughs) Um, but then we, we also, our logo is bright pink because we were like, okay, this people could take it as quite an aggressive thing potentially. So we wanted to counter that with the bright pink logo to just say, no, it's oh, tongue in cheek. It's kind of fun. It's not, it's <laughs> not, not for the glow. <laughs> yeah, you don't exactly. need to be frightened to come in here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I love that. As you say, you've interviewed so many fascinating people over the two series that, that you've currently got out as we're speaking. What have been some of the most interesting or useful insights that your guests have brought or discussed, you know, when it comes to to thinking about work? Um, So we did an episode specifically on extreme juggling, I think we called it, with um, Mm. Helen in series one, um, Helen Gamble Shields. And she, 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 she's an architect and she was talking about at the same time as 
her son doing a drugs trial for epilepsy, which was making him very ill. Um, his nursery had said that they could no longer accommodate him. So she was frantically trying to find somewhere for him. And she was starting the HCP process uh, and doing major projects at work. So it was all kind of happening at once. Um, and I, she just came up with this lovely phrase of keep on trucking. Like you've got no choice. You just have to keep on trucking. And we refer to that a lot, Rena and I, like yes. just keep on trucking. I don't know. It's just a, a, it, that's not exactly a, a huge strategy or anything, but I just love the, the kind of like, yeah, the sort of, normality of it they're sort of well what can you do you just keep on going um and she she also I've, I definitely felt I learned and I learned this from Rena as well like how to navigate the system to suit your needs a bit more so not being afraid to you know ask for different slots for appointments or reschedule appointments so that they're like on the same day so that you just you can manage your diary and your other commitments a bit better I think yeah, I've learned a lot from Rena on that front and certainly from 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 that discussion with Helen and other guests as well. It's uh yeah, taking ownership can be can mean that you can sort of say, no, actually, that doesn't we can't do that on that day and we need to do it this time, you know, within reason. Yeah, it's so interesting. I I interviewed Dr. Kate Blackmore for season 1 of this podcast and she has a child with additional needs and she said herself it's made her so much more accommodating and mindful of what the parents that she deals with in her job go through. Those things that mm. would never have occurred to her. Like, we don't need to have an in-person because, you know, it's three months. And so we're just going to schedule it in because this is what it says I should do. Like, I'll just give you a quick call yeah. if you're OK. We don't need to do that. You know, she said that she's really mindful of, of parents' time. If you don't ask, <laughs> you don't get. Um, I love that. Yeah. Um, is there anything else, Rena, that, that particularly has stood out to you? Not particularly. I think working myself has made me question a lot of kind of ways of dealing with your time management. Mm. So I, similar to Lauren, I, I'm a, I've always been quite good at organising things because I hate going to the hospital. So if I can get all of my appointments done on a day, then I will do it. But being much more direct with medical professionals I think before you're so overwhelmed with the situation that you just go along with whatever and I think as the time has gone on and your life has developed and you've got other things going on I question a lot more and I think that's helped massively and it's that yeah do I need to come in can this be on zoom why do I need to see you can you not do it here or there or whatever so that definitely something I've learned yes I think it's that it was yeah. a real mind shift for me to realize like I am the expert in B you know you are the expert in this you are the expert in that but all of that comes together uniquely <laughs> in this person and I am the expert on her so you know it is within my right to say actually I, th I think from my perspective as as the expert on her this is what we need not necessarily that that's been mm. fairly recent and, and is ongoing, I think, but it's definitely a useful process. I think one of the other things, just, sorry, just occurred to me that we learned from our guests. We had a really interesting conversation at the end of series two with um, Charlotte Fox Weber, who's a psychotherapist. Um, and she really picked apart some of the themes that come up again and again in conversations with parents, um, like guilt mm -hmm. and 
how we should you know not feel it <laughs> that it's sneaky and that sometimes it's hiding something you know she had some really interesting insights as to what what guilt really means or what we really mean when we're saying we feel guilty um and I do think about that a lot more I think it's 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 easy to go around feeling guilt for things that you feel you should have done but actually questioning you know I guess it goes back to what's important, questioning where your focus should be and what matters and letting things go. I think that's that's something that I've definitely learned talking to all of our guests and, and, and that episode with Charlotte in particular. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> We're recording our Christmas special today. So um, I have to ask you. Yay, where's the bells? <laughs> I did have a lavish headband on <laughs> before we started. Um, and then I felt like it, it was a bit much because uh, I thought we might be getting into some quite serious territory and it might not be great to have um, falala on my head as we speak. But tell me, um, what are your plans for the festive season? Because this can be this can be actually, it's wonderful and beautiful and all of those things. But as ever, it comes with additional challenges. Um, how are you guys feeling about it? How are your children? I'm feeling about it I mean I think Lewis she has no clue what Christmas is I don't think yet she's yet understood what what the day is and she's more interested in um, ripping apart paper than the actual presents on the day um, but it's she loves our tradition is always to go to my mum and dad's house and they cook us a lovely big dinner and we just get to chill at home um and she just loves being surrounded by family. So I think she will, that's the highlight for her, is just being with her uncle and her grandparents. Um, but we don't really have traditions. Um, I'm excited to see, because we have yet to put the uh, Christmas tree up. So last year she was kind of like, what the hell is this big monstrosity in the living room? <laughs> um, looked at it cautiously and would pick apart the uh, baubles. I'm interested this year to see how she um, behaves and whether she gets going to put them in herself and help us decorate the tree and not just pull them off. <laughs> Wonderful. Pictures, please. Pictures, please. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in, in our case, I think B is in her stage of development or whatever. She's just like, like she is like Will Ferrell out of Elf. She's like, Santa! You know, she is so unbelievably excited and joyful about the whole period and I just hope that you know one of the <laughs> one of the silver linings of a special needs kid is this could go on for the like the rest of her <laughs> life I don't know um and so this you know it's we're in a nice groove it hasn't always been like that but I think we're in a nice groove and we find you know and I appreciate that everyone's experiences are different and there are things that are quite loaded around Christmas time um, and we've definitely had some of that when she was younger you know like and also people just like having no idea what to get her for a present and yes. the frustrations that come with that but I think as she's got older now she has some very clear things that she loves and everybody is aware of the clear things that she loves horses dogs and maps so you know if you need to, if you're stuck for an idea pick something up out of those themes um, and I have a list and I send them out and anyway you know she's it's great that's but, so helpful yeah but um yeah it is helpful but she yeah she's I think just the stage that she's at it, it helps um also I we do have a lot of qu quite kind of regular traditions over the Christmas period so unlike other holiday periods I find it easier in some ways because that we sort of know what's happening when and as I do with summer holidays I will put together a 
I must get on it actually, a calendar of what's happening over the Christmas holidays mm-hmm. so that B has that structure to anchor to because that's really important to her to know where we're going today, where we're going tomorrow, who we're going to see, where we're going to be. Um, so I try and put together sort of a, a calendar for the holidays to help her. Um, but yeah, that plus the traditions, plus being surrounded by a lot of family and people she knows well, it actually should run pretty smoothly i'd hope <laughs> and all be chaos you know but love joyful chaos the best chaos yes <laughs> finally uh rena finished the sentence the biggest lesson raising a sen child has taught me is it's okay to say no <laughs> hell no <laughs> yes i think it's just uh we're kind of hardwired to just go along with stuff and just say yes yes it's okay yes it's okay to come see the baby when they're newborn yes it's okay to just do all these things that you know you really don't want to be doing and it's taught me say no I'm not feeling it if Lua's not feeling it's fine we don't have to pretend and we don't have to chase what other people are expecting of us to be doing and it's very liberating amazing Yes to saying no. (laughs) And Lauren, same question to you. Gosh, it's a very similar answer, actually. So, yeah, it's taught me to let go of stuff, mostly the expectations that I have of myself. I think I, you know, it sounds a bit wank, but I'm a recovering perfectionist. (laughs) So, yeah, um, giving myself permission to let go, to, to not do it all. Yeah, wonderful. That's all for this episode. Special thanks to my festive guests, Lauren Fenton and Rena Teslika. You are now officially part of the Sen Mums Career Club. <laughs> if you'd have told me this time last year that I'd be recording a Christmas special for a podcast right now, I would have thought you were joking. It has been beyond my wildest dreams to have found the time, space and resource to launch the Send Mums Career Club this year. Not to mention hear from so many women who say it's resonated with them. Huge, huge thanks to absolutely everyone who's played a part in getting us to this point. It's been especially fabulous to collaborate with Lauren and Rena on this episode and I'm thrilled to say that I'll be guesting on their podcast, Fucking Normal, in the new year. So look out for that when 2024 hits. If you want to be part of our very special club, join us on social media and share your story. You can find us at Send Mums Career on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or X as it's now known, and LinkedIn, or use the hashtag SendMumsCareer. I'd love to hear what you thought about this episode. Remember to subscribe, share, and leave us a review. And of course, come back next time. Merry Christmas.